It's often supposed that individuals in experiments like the one described here selfishly seek to maximize their own payoffs. However, it's worth reiterating that most of our subjects didn't. Hello listeners and welcome to Squeezing the Orange of Social Science, a podcast co-hosted by myself, comedian Akinoma Bittan and Professor Dan Cable. On each episode, the two of us pick apart, peer-reviewed and published social science papers and we squeeze them for their best bits so that you, the listener, don't have to sift through pages and pages of academic literature. What's up, Dan? Oh, I'm feeling healthy. Nice. I have not yet had the contagion effect. <laughs> <laughs> but we are going to talk today about contagion, aren't we? we? Are. I love it. I love the the relevance and the timeliness. But rather than talking about a biological coronavirus type contagion, which is currently sweeping through the world, we're going to talk about social contagion and this notion that the way that a person acts ripples out and infects the people around him or her. Yeah, and more specifically, we're going to look at that in terms of how cooperative or uncooperative, can these behaviors spread from person to person? That's incredible. I love the notion of just saying that. So the title, Cooperative Behavior, Cascades in Human Social Networks. Even the word cascade is just so charming. (laughs) It really draws me in. But it's this idea that you... Ooh, just hold that thought. do that. Uh, Because I just want to shout out the authors as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, shout outs to uh, James Fowler and Nicholas Christakis. And you were saying, Dan... No, no, I've said really everything I wanted to. Thanks. Hey, that behavior might cause me to... I love it. So what I enjoy about this uh, is they look at these um, decisions that we all have to make in the real world about whether we help or hurt others. That's really what it comes down to. Cooperative behavior um, would be one where you kind of proactively give and help, even though you kind of could get away with not. And then there's destructive behaviors where you kind of are hurting others and you're making that decision because you want to kind of keep more for yourself. And we all make hundreds of these every day. You know, like I'm thinking like I ride in my bike um, in the morning and there's a light, there's a red light. And if I pull up to the red light and there's four people there stopped, I'll stop. If the four people in front of me buzz straight on through, I feel a bit of a chump stopping, to be honest. Yeah, why even, be in a square? Even though it's a law, it's like, you know what? Eh, it's yeah. probably fine. Jump this light with the rest of us and it's take your chances bit. against and, the 18-wheeler. Yeah, and so the word cascades here is so cool because if I had to say, just like really briefly, you know, what I think this study's all about, it's like, so this study's going to help us see that it's not just me that jumps that light because the four people in front of me did. There are people that never saw that original group, but that are affected that they also jumped the light. And the idea that there's this social behavior that creeps out and infects large, large groups of people that never saw the original interaction. The original decision is long in the past. The effect is still kind of repeating itself in a ripple. Yeah, and what excites me about this study is i'm always fascinated by social science behavioral science because it kind of helps me understand decisions that i make where i'm doing so at a more unconscious level and i always feel that if i can become more aware of these decisions i can possibly make better decisions in the future and even if i'm making worse decisions hey I want to be in control of those two. You want to know that you're doing them. Yeah, That's yeah. Really I want right. to know that consciously I mean, I've decided. Some of this some of this stuff that I learned here 
is almost mystical, though. Like, I think we all sort of know that, like, smile and the world smiles with you, that sort of thing. What, you know, it's kind of funny. Number one, this also shows frown and the world's going to frown, too. That was real. Oh, man. We, oh, we, you know, this, like, we got to have some fun with that. This is so juicy. That's one thing. And yep. then I think the other thing is this idea that we all sort of know that people watch us and then they're affected. It's weird that it happens with things like weight and weight loss and obesity. Yep. So the, what this research shows, not this particular study, but it reviews this incredible stream of research. But like if you have somebody and you hang out with a, a direct network that maybe are obese or that smoke or that some of these habits, you can kind of see like, oh, yeah, because you picked them. What this evidence and a lot of different studies are suggesting is that like, no, it goes out two, three, four levels from there, like four like degrees of separation almost. And there's something about the one person being, say, obese or smoking that affects somebody three levels down the line, but they've never met that person. That's pretty cool. They talked about this one study. Um, did you get the one about like, the door-to-door canvasser? Yeah. That was, that was really cool. So this was the one where it was this idea. They were referencing a, a prior study which looked at the idea, if you're a door-to-door canvasser and you're trying to influence how your community vote in maybe a local or a general election or something along those lines, by talking to someone at the door, you're also indirectly influencing the other individuals that live in that premises as well. And they never talk to you? They, yeah, they've never... That's, again, a really cool effect of just, like, I don't know exactly how that seeps through the ether and affects them, but it does. Like, factually, that's what the research shows. There's also this really cool stuff, like, if you're talking about, like, you know how when you yawn, other people yawn? That's been kind of shown to be, like, a neurophysiological process where, like, we're aping that behavior. Uh, like, same with a smile. If you smile, people have this behavioral need to mimic that back unless they're a psychopath true like sometimes you're like, i'll true. be chilling on the tube i'm having a really good day life's looking on the up for all that in everyone's getting a smile <laughs> you ever smile at someone in public and the way that they return their glare is just like wow <laughs> who pooped in your cocoa pops man like, <laughs> no mimicry there <laughs> So I think that what's so cool about this is we're not talking about this unconscious like uh, behavior where somebody yawns and then you just kind of can't help yourself from yawning. That's a very sub-unconscious, like below consciousness level. This is the kind of thing where we see somebody behave and we're like, yeah, I'm going to do that too. I'm going to model that behavior. I, it's not like a yawn where like it happens no matter what. Like I make the decision to not be a jerk and instead to help. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. And I don't know where exactly we want to bring some of this up. I don't think maybe we should introduce the study itself. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the study itself, they looked at a what they described as an ordinary public goods game. I love how they described <laughs> it as oh, it this ordinary. I had you to know. Google it. I was like, what are you talking about? You know how we do. What's a public goods game? You know how we <laughs> so they, they were looking at, I guess, like archived data. Yeah, that's um, one of the things that's really cool about this study. It's worth bringing up is the original study had to do with looking at whether whether or not punishment and putting punishment possibilities makes people more cooperative. And so that study was done years and years and years ago, and they showed that cool effect. And it does, by the way, just so you know, that cooperative behavior increases when you can punish non-cooperators. So that data was just out there. And then these people called up those authors and said, like, hey, you've got some pretty sweet data here. (laughs) (laughs) This is how I imagine, like, researchers... (laughs) 
Hey, uh, you know what? I couldn't help but notice, but uh, three years ago, you were able to. Uh, I was about you uh, slide them files on over to me. It's a lot like that, <laughs> you dirty bunch. <laughs> Uh, so we think we could, quote, repurpose, unquote, that data you got there. And that would really be nice for us. That would kind of save us the trouble of gathering our own, for example. Sounds fancy. How you got to uh, make it worth my time? It's like, we're going to citate you at the bottom, man. Are you going to send me the data or not? We're going to chop the head off a horse and put it in your bed. That's what we're gonna... I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Capiche? Anyway, let's so get- yeah, so they had, so they had, the, so like, so these public good games. I'm going to give like my dirty understanding of it, and then you could ha- yeah. may possibly clean it up yeah, for me sure, a bit, Dan. Sure. So the idea behind these public uh, goods games is that you get like a group of people. So let's say like four individuals form a group, and each of the individuals in that group have been allotted. So let's say twenty pounds. Each individual has twenty pounds. So they'll go through different rounds where they need to decide how much of their money do they want to contribute to the group. And the idea behind this is that, let's say for every one pound they put in, the for somehow it then turns into like, I don't know, one pound 40 That's exactly or something right. like that. That's so the more money that they put into the, to group, the group, to the group, sorry, to the group, yeah, that's it. They, they can increase the size of the group's wealth. Right. But they also have the option of just holding their money to themselves and in which case, they just increase their own individual wealth. And it means that whatever the others give, they get yes, without giving. Yes. This is called a cooperative or a cooperation dilemma because what's best for the group is not what's best for the individual. And that's really important. That despite the opportunity to improve the group outcomes, each individual can always earn more by contributing less. Have you ever heard about the classic prisoner's dilemma? I've heard about it, but school me on it and refresh me. It fits in here really, really nicely. Say Akin and I commit some crime. What might that be? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Just say some theft. Let's just say some Some theft. Some theft? Oh, let's let's, let's ham it up a bit. Oh, no. Now it sounds terrible. (laughs) It's too much. (laughs) Forget it. My imagination. Okay, so we've done something and the police have caught us. Home invasion. Okay, home invasion and we've stolen a TV or something. The police have caught us and what they've done is they separate us into two different cells. Okay? Why have we stolen a television? We just love them. We just love them. 1994. (laughs) And of course they caught us. Because it weighs like freaking 80 kilograms. And you and I both have an end. We're <laughs> chopping like it down an alley. Back it into a Vauxhall Astra. <laughs> Meanwhile, nobody uses televisions. <laughs> nobody. Okay, can we? Yeah, let's do it. So the important bit here has less to do with the TV and more to do with the fact that Akin and I have committed a crime and we're sitting in two separate cells and we cannot communicate and they're going to start heckling us. They're going to start asking us questions. Now listen, I have an incentive to say Akin did the whole thing because if I can turn him in and he says um, Dan is innocent, we're both innocent, then he's going to take the whole rap and I'm going to walk out of there scot-free. So I have that incentive. Now, mutually, the best thing to do is shut up. If neither of us say a word, they can't pin anything on us. Wait, did we they catch you? Yeah, did they the catch us? <laughs> okay. <laughs> did I- yeah, our setup is terrible here, but <laughs> I think hopefully the listeners are sharp enough to understand that I- maybe in this situation we weren't caught red-handed. Well, <laughs> we were- <laughs> in, in this situation. There was no smoking gun. Yeah, yeah. We weren't caught, 
but we got the TV. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm going to wrap this up because it's done. Do it, do it. Do okay, it. Keep, keep, keep going. <laughs> so, in this situation, it really behooves us to both shut up because then we get the lightest possible jail sentence because it can't really pin anything on us. But if we both open our traps and tell everything we know about the other one being a thief, they get all the evidence, and we both get, like, 65 years. Fucking hell, for a television? Yeah. <laughs> it was a widescreen. It's, it's a wide, yeah. It was from one of the sports bars. <laughs> so, what are you two in for? <laughs> TV theft. <laughs> okay. It's HD. It's one of those curved screens. Is that still a thing? A Samsung we... still trying to convince me that my TV needs a curve in it. We can, we can, Dan, we can. So, so, so the idea behind this game is that you go through like several rounds and the researchers are trying to observe how much money the group are able to raise for the group because that shows a higher level of cooperation. Um, and there's a separate one in which a punishment can be in place as well. And so I believe with the punishment, it's at the end of each round. So whether it was, um, whether it was with or without punishment, at the end of each, each round, you now know how much the other person yes. put in, but you don't know who the other person is. So it's anonymous in that sense. You don't know who's doing what, but you just know that you have this one-off interaction. You both put something in. At the end of it, you know how much they put in. They know how much you put in, but you don't know who they are. That's really an important part of this because this study needed to rule out things like reputation effects. So like if you've got to watch somebody across time and now you know oh yeah they're going to do that i'm on uh, the fix it in i already figured them out or if they develop a reputation as being a bad person then i'm not going to give them any money in this game that's completely controlled out because it's completely anonymous and nobody ever interacts with anyone again yes and that's what actually makes it so sweet to study what they're studying which are these unfolding behavioral mimicries without any possibility of watching the person, interacting them with again, or having reputation. And just to add to that as well, because they mentioned this idea of the rational thing. Like, the rational thing to do is for everyone to just not put in and not punish. Then everyone just kind of like... Keeps low, all the everyone, money. Yeah, everyone keeps yeah. everything. But once people start behaving slightly irrationally irrationally yep it everything goes kind of like upside down that's now. really interesting and that that actually that sharpens the whole contribution of this study yeah that, that, that's that's it that's it basically that that rationally the way most economists would think about things is everybody will seek to maximize their own payoff selfishly and that would mean try to basically trick everybody else into giving but then you don't give that's yep. how you would maximize your money. And that's not what happens. Yeah, and to bring it a bit into to current affairs as well. So, like, currently we have this coronavirus, which is, as Dan mentioned, at the top kind of sweeping around. And, you know, I've been following it. I've been binge watching it. Mm. It's like each week feels like a new season of what happens next on COVID-19. <laughs> but, like, very early on, I found it quite interesting because I was watching online loads of clips about people hoarding they're like stockpiling toilet paper yep. and after about three days of this i was like 
wait, why? Like, is there a symptom that I'm not aware of <laughs> as to why? Am I going to need several rolls of toilet? And so then I started realising that somehow, some way, some, either some misinformation or something has caused an irrational behaviour. A run on toilet, a loo, <laughs> a loo roll. <laughs> yeah, because like yeah. rationally, yeah. even if yeah. you are going to stockpile, maybe like canned food, yeah water like you know there's some real essentials like you can wash out your butthole in a sink man like if like i'm just (laughs) like it's really go bad use the bark from a tree yeah but when you where when you consider how much stuff can be stockpiled in a shopping trolley toilet roll does not make sense so i was watching i was a bit like oh this is quite interesting because at somewhere along the line some irrational behavior has begun and what this is now causing is more people to behave irrationally to the point where now there's this obsession over toilet paper and the toilet paper companies are just kind of like high rubbing five. their... This is yeah, our best They're high-fiving, oh, even yeah. though they shouldn't be. high-fiving, <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. quickly using the soap, warm soap. <laughs> but, um, and disinfecting. But yeah, so it's so interesting to kind oh, of like God. observe how one piece of irrational behavior put into a system, the the rational response should be, you know, the majority of people who are like, hey, wait, whoa, guys, like, chill out. One, there's plenty for everyone. Two, if you start stockpiling it, there won't be plenty for everyone. But there's enough of the, the virus in terms of the behavioral virus. So not necessarily the, the COVID-19, but there's enough of a behavioral uh, virus where if you go to a supermarket during this time you're likely to find that the toilet roll section has been cleared out that's it that's it it's a really nice analogy and boy how cool it is that you've just linked the biological infection with the social uh behavioral infection. yeah that's a nice one because i believe that's, that's the, the value there. of this like i believe that when when the two uh the two researchers uh i'm just going to quickly like uh find their names again for another shout out james fowler and nicholas uh christakis I don't believe they were that interested in the public goods game. I feel like their interest is what can we observe about human behavior by setting up this game yes. and seeing how people respond and behave. And that that cool word again, cascades, what it means is that if one person early on does one cooperation contribution behavior, like I'm going to give you a specific one that literally is from the data, it unfolds across the next, they did, was it six rounds? I think maybe there was six rounds in total, yeah. possible, so possibly. So each time, um, the, the focal person, like the, at time one, they make an action and then they move on to somebody else. But the person who they affected or infected the first time, that person is now affecting them who they're interacting with. And then in the third wave, there's three different people that are affected and yep. so on. And it yep. spreads. Which, which makes a lot of sense. So if I have this kind of like, you know, there's a wall between Dan and I. We've both got like 20 bucks each and we're both told that, hey, we can either hold on to that and we both keep our 20 bucks or we both relinquish our 20 bucks. And then out of that, there's 50 quid that we could then share between the two of us. So now I need to do this with the understanding of, ooh, is Dan going to put... Is Dan a good person? Yeah, 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 essentially. Yeah. And so like... If this I is, put in my 20 yeah. and then Dan gets half of that, all I get back is my 10. Yeah. Then Dan's got 30, I've got 10. Yeah. He's laughing, I'm feeling like a chump. Totally. And so if that then happens, yeah. 
the next round, when I now, now it's not Dan on the other side. And that's what's interesting as well, is I didn't even know it was Dan. I, it was just a random person. So the next round now, there's another random person. I get a fresh 20. They've got a 20. Now I'm thinking, hmm. I know how this goes. Yeah, I'm not going to put my whole 20 in because I could get stung again. So maybe I'm going to put 10 in. So now the other person in the previous round, this is yeah, why this yeah, gets really yeah, zany yeah. in terms of how these networks spread. Yeah. So let's say the other person in the previous round had put in 20 and the other person had put in 20. They're a bit like, great, we yeah, both came yeah. off better off. This time around again, they're like, I'm going to put the full 20 in, but they put it against me and I've been burnt in the past. Yeah. So now they had put 20 in previously. This time they put 20 again. They find out that I've only put 10 in. You look like the bad guy. Yeah, I'm now the bad guy. But I feel like I've balanced out what's happened. That's how these networks work. Yes. That's really a nice... So in terms of like the positive and the negative behaviors, quite understandably, we're responding to what has happened to us in the past. However, we don't know what has happened to other individuals in the past. That's right. Especially in... Unlike many real-world situations, one of the beauties of this game is nobody ever interacts with somebody else again, and there are no reputation effects. So you're literally cleaning up all those other explanations for what's really happening here. And you're simply saying they're flying blind, and what people do in the early end, it basically makes its way through the, the social network. Like, Let me give you a specific one. This was a statistically significant effect in the public uh, the basic public goods game, you know those. If a subject <laughs> increases his or her contribution by one additional pound in period one, that increase would directly cause three other subjects in his or her group to increase their total contributions by 1.8 pounds over the next four periods or games or rounds. You can call them whatever you want. But it's basically, you're going to interact with these four different people. You're never going to see any of them again. But how you act in that one thing starts to spread up to 1.8. Now get this. It also says, it also indirectly causes nine other subjects to increase their total contributions by 1.2 pounds. This is so cool. That's periods three and five for an additional increase of three pounds. So essentially what you're able to do is you're able to track, here are these effects that would not have been there if you just held on to your money. And that is why it becomes a public good. It's a little like, sorry, paying taxes, isn't it? Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me more. I mean, that's Tell kind of an more. interesting yeah. idea. It's like at every year, you have a decision whether to follow the law and create a public good that will take care of your roads and take care of safety issues. And like, you're going to use the roads and you're going to use the like safety, but some people are like, I'm not going to pay it. I'm just not going to do that. And then this would be like the idea that if you decide to pay, that goes in one direction. You create a bigger public good and everyone wins. If you decide to defect, then you kind of create this other thing where more people are like, well, if he's not going to pay, I'm not going to pay. And that's not only bad illegally, like roads get worse. There's more crime. And so that whole notion of a public good is a very realistic thing as well. Did it, you did you think about like some other like real world? Well, like as you mentioned it, it reminds me of so in, in London, here in London, we have the, the DLR, the Docklands Light Rail. And most stations of the DLR, you don't have to tap in and out with your like your oyster or your debit card like you like they don't have those barriers that prevent people and it's just become this kind of like common idea in london the dlr 
it's kind of free. <laughs> like, it's just like... Talk about a public good. Yeah, it's kind of free. <laughs> and I remember taking that attitude to... It may have been Copenhagen, I may have been, where I was approaching train stations and I, I bought my ticket. After buying my ticket, I then went to, like, go to the platform. And I just realized, hey, there's no barriers. Like, why did I, why did I pay? Why did I waste why, my yeah, money? Why did I, and it's so interesting how it's like, what I'm paying for is a service. But when that kind of, that mm. barrier, mm. that literal mm. barrier is removed, how is that affecting my behavior? So while I was in um, Copenhagen, I... From my recollection, I was never approached by, like, a ticket inspector. However, because of their behavior, the behavior that I was seeing from other people, I was like, well, everyone... That's what you do. That's what you do. Because you're going to use the train. Yeah, that's a really good example. In London, on the DLR, I'm like, hey, TFL, (laughs) I got one finger for you. (laughs) Now, that's the kind of thing that's going to get us in the jail cell. (laughs) Yeah, this isn't going to be funny later when I've been... And you mentioned cycling at the top, Dan. Yeah. Um, last year, I did get fined for jumping a red light. I got fined for jumping a red light. This must have been like 2019. And it's just become very normal in my like cycling behavior. And I didn't even notice that the police had set up just after it. So they kind of like, they flagged me down. They waved me over. And the police officer's like, uh, do you know why I pulled you over? And I was like, yeah, for, for jumping the red light. And he's like, well, why'd you do it then? And I was like, buddy, I didn't know you were here. <laughs> like, <laughs> did you say that out loud? I didn't say it. Oh, that would have been Goodness me, I was day. thinking oh it. I was a bit like, yeah, if I knew you were there, I weren't going to jump it. Oh, my like, gosh. Oh, my gosh. But literally running through my head. Did, was you, like, did you even think a little bit about putting the pedal to the metal and like trying to uh, like... One of my friends asked me, it's like, why did you even stop? And I was a bit like, I don't know. That sounds like a great uh, offense. Like... <laughs> I think it's called resisting arrest. Yeah, I got I got fined fifty bucks, and but this is how this kind of like because um, we talk about the contagion and just like these behaviors and yes. these ideas. Yes, Dan, the same journey. I carried on jumping red lights like it was so ingrained. It was so ingrained. I was just a bit more careful. Yeah. Like I still yeah. jump red lights now. Yeah. I just look more yes. before. So previously, yeah. I would just look out for traffic, and I'd be a bit like, you know, is there a vehicle or a person? If not, and it's clear, yeah, what am I sitting around for? But now I just look out for cops as well. That's um, a punishment effect, and it sounds like it yeah. didn't work for you. No, but that's what they talk about in yeah. here. Is like they talk about this idea of we're not the punishment. We're we're more looking for cooperative behaviors than we are looking for things that will punish. Is that is that my understanding? That's that right. Correct? They, they like, did find that. I find this to be one of the coolest parts of these studies. They found that the punishment doesn't spread as far. So here's what they had. Yes. It says punishment can spur cooperative cascades as well. So what basically by punishment, what it means is if somebody messes with you and then you have the ability to kind of claw back and hurt them, that's going to increase cooperative behavior. What they found though is that um, two rounds later, if if you give a pound more, then I mean, if you sort of you know spend a pound order hurting them, there's 0.13 pounds that they'll you'll like correct their behavior a little bit, but then that effect doesn't appear to spread any farther. Which makes a lot of sense to me because with a punishment, you're it's it's, it's this idea of you're possibly like punishing an individual kind of at the expense of the group, but Hmm. the individual gets punished. And I think because of that, the, Hmm. it's it's a, it's a really a weird one to kind of like wrap 
my my head around on that side of it it's like we're not necessarily because the cooperation there isn't building anything up it's tearing down the individual but also at the expense of the group you mean the punishment the punishment yeah yeah yeah, the punishment it's like we're we're punishing an individual further at the expense of so it's like we're not it's not necessarily that cooperative it's not building that's right on what we are creating so the incentive still seems to be which is quite a, a optimistic optimistic way of looking at at humans yes and human society and, and human yeah. institutions yeah yeah that instinct yeah. of ours is always how do we build each yes. other yeah. how do we build as yeah. a group how do we build individuals we don't really want to focus our attention and our resources on how we punish yeah. which might be why prisons yeah. stink it's like we're not really like <laughs> it's like we're not really trying to put more money <laughs> into imprisoning more people and making sure that their conditions are more humane no 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 we don't we don't want that that's like we don't want it in society so we're not trying to to put more into it that's interesting do you ever um well this is kind of going down a different path so we may get there a little bit later let's make sure that we finish covering what we need to in this but but i'll say it really quick though because i actually think it could be kind of related do you know the word entropy just the notion that things fall apart and like in a closed system, it tends toward chaos and disorder. It's interesting because what you just said struck me as the opposite. Yeah. Human systems tend toward increasing order somehow. Or at least it appears that way over the course of, I don't know, 10,000 years. It appears that things are becoming more structured and less crime and less people getting murdered. And, you know, it's just kind of interesting how it seems to be like an anti-entropy. Like, cooperative human behavior is like an anti-entropy spectacle. Yeah, which is, uh, pun intended, uh, a numbers game. So if you look at, I guess, societies or groups that that do seem to kind of be more, I guess, punishment-based or destructive-based... I think it might be like a the number of people who are negatively influencing, but also their power as well to negatively influence. Because mm. it seems the majority of individuals would rather things be more harmonious and, you know, more floral and nice. But it seems that this idea of whether we want to be cooper- cooperative or uncooperative, that the power seems to be in our hands at an individual level. Yeah, that's really nice. I mean, if we kind of like start to move toward takeaways and closings, that to me is the biggest takeaway. I I just think about, it's really small stuff, but remembering, being really cognizant that your behavior isn't just about what you get today. It's about sending these signals out because people are watching, emulating, copying. And if you can send a positive signal that helps, on average, it's not just the interaction there. There's creating a, a cascade around. Totally. At the minimum, that seems motivating to me. It, yeah. It, it, oh, I would say it inspires me. It's Friday. So yeah. maybe I'm extra inspired. <laughs> I'm inspirable. But I do feel like that with real data. That's what I wanted to say. With some of the best data that you could possibly get, they did an extremely technically concise, beautiful piece of work and proved beyond any doubt that these cooperative cascades not only exist, but we can all do them. And it's it's operating at a rational level. So somewhat instinctively or inherently, for the majority of us, there is a desire to do good. And I think it's important to understand as well that we shouldn't underestimate that. Even the smallest things that we do for one another 
it is immediately putting good vibes out there and encouraging, yeah, I guess a bit more like a more harmony. I guess so. Harmony. Yeah. And earlier, did you say floral? Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Floral. Yeah. I wear a lot of floral shirts. I wonder oh, if that nice. fits in there. <laughs> oh, sweet, man. But yeah, it just kind of thinks of like, kind of like spring and colors and like, you know, how bees like pollinate and just kind of like, you know, yeah. kind of put some it's beauty good. and some like, yeah, some goodness I like out that. there. I like, I'm glad you got that out of this, um, this, this study. Um, I think I'm just going to say thank you. Um, you know, to be honest, if, if you like this one, please send it around. If you didn't like this one, send some other one around. <laughs> Pick one and send it around. Yeah, pick one good. <laughs> For God's sakes. We've got to have, what, 30 or something now. Yeah, don't hold them to yourself. <laughs> cooperate. Share. Yeah, totally. I think if you learn one thing, uh, listeners, cooperate and share. And that means please send one of these to one of your friends who you think might get a chuckle. And uh, if you don't mind um, doing a review, I don't know. I don't know. We have this campaign. And what we'd really like is to get more people subscribing and then clicking that fifth star. Yes. That's, that's what's going to help us kind of credentialize this thing and like build a movement. Maybe build a cascade. Nice. Awesome. Goodbye. Ciao.